Whenever you listen to the story of the Old Testament, it seems like blood is everywhere. There's sacrifices every day in the temple. We see Passover. We have sin offerings and unintentional sin offerings. That story of blood finally comes to an end with Jesus, and here is that story. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 20th, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, so far, we've been talking about who is this Jesus. We've covered a couple things. What the, the men on their way to Emmaus didn't quite understand who Jesus was. They thought, he's a great prophet. This is great. Um, and he's also, hopefully, going to be the Messiah. That's what they were hoping. But in their mind, that meant to make things politically a lot better for Israel. Well, they're wrong kind of on both accounts. He is a prophet, but he's much more than that. So there's a couple prophecies that we looked at. So if you were going to sit down with someone who is in the Old Testament to say, let's just look from the Old Testament and figure out who this Jesus is, you're probably going to start in Genesis, and that's what we did. So here's a kind of a remake of this uh, prophecy. The Messiah would crush the head of an ancient serpent, the devil. Remember it says, uh, they'll put enmity between you and the woman. But essentially this is a summary that says, I'm going to send someone who is going to crush the devil and all his work. Now remember, this isn't very specific, is it? Not really. We don't know when it's going to come. We know it says he, so we know it's a male. At some point, someone, and I say the Messiah, because that just means anointed or like promised one. So the promised one is going to come and take care of this. Last week we said, well, it got a little bit more specific when we got to the life of Abram and then Abraham, his name was changed to. So the second prophecy that we looked at, a promise number two, is the Messiah would be the blessing that came from Abram's line for all people. Now, Abram is the father of what nation? You can think in your head. The Jewish nation. So the Jewish people, um, we talked about an exclusive club. When you go into Club 33 or something like that, that's how they felt. Like, we are part of an exclusive club, and just by being part of this club, we're kind of set. The Messiah is going to come from our line. We're all good to go. Well, it's an exclusive club in some senses because only Jesus can get into God's club, but not an exclusive club, meaning that no one else can get into it. So the time between um, the first, we don't know when the world started exactly. Abraham, we do have an idea because you look at secular dates and a few things like that. We can roughly put them at about 2,000. Whenever you think of Abraham, think about 2,000 years before Jesus. That's a pretty safe bet. What we're going to be talking about today in the Passover is the life of Moses. And this is another key date, and it has a nice round date for us, at 1,500. So 2,000 to 1,500. Does that seem like a long time? When you think Bible terms, a lot of times you're like, eh, that's not really that long. Because people live to be like 900. But 500 years, our, America has been around, founded in 1776. And if this isn't right, I'm going to just edit it on the tape. So just let me know later. Founded 1776. It's celebrated my birthday year. So we would be looking at uh, July 4th. 236 years. So we're not even halfway through 500 years. To Cubs fans, like 100 years is a lot. So I mean, any of this, this is a long time. So I'm going to try and get you up to speed to what happened from the time of Abraham until we get to uh, what we're talking about, the Passover. So hold on, we're going to be talking about it. So Abraham has a son. He has a promised son. He's 90, uh, 75 years old when he gets this promise. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's like, well, I don't currently have a son. He says, I'm going to send you a son. You're going to get one. For 25 years, he holds on to that promise, more or less. 25 years, and he's 100 years old. His wife is 90. 90. So this is truly miraculous. It said his womb is good as dead, it says in Scripture. She has this child. So this is really exciting, the love of their life. They're 100 years old. You can imagine uh, sleepless nights at 100. I, I just figure they're like, he slept through the night at day one because we're not getting up. I mean... <laughs> Maybe, well, at 100, maybe that's ideal because you get up any t- anyway at like five, six times a night. So maybe it's perfect. It worked out great. 
So they're 100 years old. They have this baby, Isaac, and he lives with them until he's 40. And then he decides it's probably time to get married. He's kind of a late bloomer, I would say. Um, and there's no basements in tents, so I don't know if he lived in the same tent or they had a couch there or he just played Xbox or what. But he's 40 years old. Finally decides, i got to get married. Goes and meets a woman named Rebecca. And Rebecca is beautiful. And they decide, let's, let's just enjoy our time together before we have kids. So they have no kids for 20 years. So now Jacob, I mean, uh, Isaac is 60 years old, and he has twin boys, which is the ideal time, I think, when you're 60 to have twin boys. And there's some friction going on with these boys, though. Esau is hairy and kind of a man's man, and Jacob is, it said he has smoother skin, and uh, Esau even means like kind of red and hairy. He's a hunter. And then Jacob's kind of a mama's boy who hangs out with his mom, and he tends the sheep, and he's got smooth skin. His name, it's my middle name, so it means deceiver. Thanks, Mom. That's great. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, no names in America mean anything, so no one thinks of it as they mean. My other name is ruler. Jared means bow down. Yarad means bow down. So I don't rule over anything, so you know that's not accurate at all. So deceptive ruler. It's a <laughs> so they, Jacob has this... Um, uh, so Jacob is, they get in this fight, and he tricks his brother, as you know, to give him the birthright, and this is not good. Esau and Jacob are frustrated. Um, they don't like each other, and it gets near the end of Isaac's life. And they say, his mom's like, well, you know, if your dad dies, who knows what Esau's going to do? And in a fist fight, my money's with Esau. So they said, I got to get out of here. And at the uh, young age, ripe age, his dad was a late bloomer. He's like 77, roughly. He decides, I, finally, i got to leave home. i got to get my own wings, and I'm going to go meet a lady. So he goes to his, uh, his relative Laban. He's 77, roughly, years old. And he sees the most beautiful girl he's ever seen in his life. She's tending sheep. And he says, this is the one I want to marry. And things don't change. When you're five years old or you're 77, to impress the ladies, you do physical feats of strength. And that's exactly what Jacob did. He was all pumped up. They had a rock that was blocking the water well. And he would, by himself, move the rock. And all the ladies, obviously, were impressed. And she invited him immediately to his house, which uh, so that's too bad we don't have water wells and things like that for you guys. But we'll think of some of them. So Jacob um, moves this well. He, he sees her and he says, tell you what, I'll work for seven years to get married. He gets married eventually, you know, seven years. A week later, he marries the wrong woman. At 77, maybe his eyesight was off a little bit or something, but at 77, he marries the wrong woman. A week later, he marries the right woman, and then, um, so now he's 84 years old, and he's going to start his family. So I'm not going to tell you the details. He has 12 kids, 12, uh, 12 sons, I should say, and a daughter, Dinah. So between these two ladies and two other ladies, uh, that's a sin, kids, don't worry. Um, between these ladies, he has 12 kids. One of those kids is Judah, who is the line where the Savior is going to come from. The other one, and how they end up in Egypt, is um, his most famous son. A, because he's in a musical, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, and B, he's in Scripture. So if you've heard of Joseph and the many-colored coat, this is true. So Joseph, um, his brothers don't like him for reasons that I think are fairly obvious if you understand family dynamics. They're not a big fan of Joseph. They, they kick him off, and... Um, they sell him into slavery. He works for a while. He goes to prison for a while. And then suddenly, he's working for the, the most powerful guy in the whole world, who is Pharaoh at the time. And he's working for Pharaoh, and um, he gets a vision. that Pharaoh had this vision that said there's going to be seven years of plenty and wonderful time. It sounds like America in the 2000s and the 90s. And then suddenly, that's going to crash for seven years. And I think this would be a bigger deal than it would be for us because how many years are we into the economic downturn, as they phrase it? 
started in 2008, I think, is where they put it at. If you look on the 2007 is when your house was probably worth as much as you paid for it. So you just look back, a little smile back then. You actually had money in the equity in your house. Since then, it has shifted down, right? We're not even halfway through a seven-year period. What do you think it's like if you are sustained off the land? Like if your job was to tend sheep and each year there's a famine, I would think it would get worse and worse. And wor- I mean, if you're an engineer or an accountant, it's like, well, a big deal. But for them, it's going to be worse and worse. There's less seed, there's less grass, there's less water, a worse and worse and worse. So finally it gets to the point where Jacob, his sons come to him and say, listen, there's no place to go. We've got to go get some, land from e- uh, get some food from Egypt. So they head up to Egypt and they get some food and I won't tell you the whole story, but Joseph, being kind, moves the whole family up to Egypt, which sounds like a good deal, right? They got land, they got plenty of food, and it's watered by the, the Mediterranean Sea so they can take care of their sheep. Well, um, the dynasty changes. They forget about Joseph, and now suddenly we are becoming slaves. And God doesn't like this. He wants his people to go into the land, his promised land. So he starts the ten plagues, if you're familiar with the ten plagues, and then he says this. This is the last one. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Can you imagine being in, in Egypt at that time? Just like transport yourself back. Everything's normal. There's no miracles. Suddenly, nine plagues hit, like darkness and, and locusts and disease to the animals and gnats and blood turning to water, I mean, water turning to blood. It's just like, uh, everything about frogs, yeah, so they just get grosser and grosser, and it's terrible. Things are, just imagine now when this one's announced. The, the, just imagine you live here, and you know some of your neighbor's firstborn son is going to die. Here's the question, though. Did the Israelites avoid every plague when you read it in Scripture? Some, it says, like, it wasn't dark in Goshen, and it says they didn't get, I think, the gnats they didn't get, the boils they didn't get. But other times it doesn't even mention that in Scripture. So is it possible that some of these plagues are affecting the people of Israel? I'd say absolutely. So how would you feel now if you're an, Egypt, I mean, an, an Israelite person? This comes down that the firstborn is going to die. Are you thinking to yourself, like, uh, does that include us? I think it'd be a pretty scary moment. Pretty scary moment. So then God continues with our reading for the day. The Lord said to assure his people, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So go get the whole community of Israel. Tell everybody, the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for his household, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there. You are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. The lambs you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So this is going great, right? So you can imagine their relief when they're all worried, like, are our own kids going to die? Is there anything we can do? And then they say, well, just rest assured, here's what you need to do. Go get a lamb. Okay, they would get this lamb. And lambs, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about snakes. And snakes, does anyone like snakes? We said there's three people that like snakes, right? So we had a total of three people. One was two ladies and kale that like snakes. They're probably the same people that I think like clowns. 
Um, these, are, these are like the 10 plagues of America, aren't they? There's like clowns, snakes, um, people who put their dogs in sweaters, and <laughs> reality TV. So we got four already. Circus peanuts, so we've already got a fifth one. Marshmallow peeps, so we're at six. I mean, so we're getting there, right? Blood sausage, if you've ever met your grandpa. Yeah, so we got seven plagues already. So we're not far away. The same people like those. If, if we had a plague that said, like, uh, get rid of the snakes, you'd be like, has anyone seen snakes on an endangered species list? I don't know if they are. I've never seen them. Like, the spotted owl and stuff is really cute, and people are like, man, that's a cute owl. Or the and marine animals are so awesome. I've never seen a snake on the poster of you. Even if they are going to extinct, people are like, oh, let's just cut our losses. Let's just push towards the panda bear. Let's just go, we got to go with can sell. Right, so these are, look at these things. These aren't snakes. Aren't they cute? Now, I, I'm guessing these are smaller than a year. That's my guess. Um, so they're a year old. They're fluffy. They're cute. They're lovely. What would your kids say if you brought home like a little lamb to play with? Wouldn't they? Lo- yeah, it's like a puppy, right? I mean, this is, you're still in the honeymoon phase. You get this little puppy and the kids play with it. But then what does God say is going to happen on the 14th day? Take care of them until the 14th day. Four days, kids, you get to play with this animal right? Go to the back. You can play it. You can name it. We don't care. Do whatever. But on the 14th day, here's what's going to happen. On the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them in twilight. Can you, can you imagine that? This now starts... Uh, we said this is a story of blood. This now starts in the life of the people of Israel, an endless cycle that blood is necessary in their worship life, in their day-to-day life. They, it's not long now, they go into the desert, and God says, here's what I want you to do in the tabernacle. Kill a lamb in the morning and kill a lamb at night. If you unintentionally sin, if you read Leviticus 4, if you unintentionally sin, this is what I want you to do. Take a lamb and take its life. And you can imagine a, a nation of two million people, how many lambs are we talking about that are getting sacrificed? And you think of the beauty of like the temple and the tabernacle and everything's gold and beauty. They, had, they didn't need a whole tribe to take care of this because it would have been messy. Have you ever been to a slaughterhouse? I just went to a meat locker. We, we bought some meat. We bought a quarter cow. So we went there. And what does it smell like? It smells to me like blood covered with bleach. It doesn't You could put as many air fresheners as you want and you could, you're like pretty much smells like blood covered with bleach, right? I, I, this is not, I would imagine that's what the temple, just the flow. You ever touch things uh, or cut an animal or like get like raw meat and you, get, you wash your hands and they still smell like blood? This is what they're like, from now on, blood, blood, blood. In fact, in Leviticus, God explains it to the people. He says, this is how I see it. You can't even eat the blood of any creature. Because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. You, you look at this and think, isn't this a little over the top? Like all this blood? When God says, he doesn't say the wages of uh, like murder is death. He says the wages of sin. So any sin you commit, God says, needs to be fixed with blood. So I think we make sense to us when we say like tit for tat, like, all right, so I murder someone, I could see that my life should be taken. Crime, a punishment fits the crime or something like that. But what if you call your friend a jerk? According to God's law, he says you deserve to die. 
and blood must be shed. What happens if you lie to your parents and you say, hey, we're going to the library, but I'm going to go to an R-rated movie instead? That's two sins, by the way. So what happens if you do that, right? God says you need to die. Doesn't it sound a little bit like that weird, uh, your friend's weird dad who always brings down the hammer a little bit too much, and you're like, what's the deal with his discipline? Right? It's a little, it's a little harsh. And I imagine the people, when they see this, think all this killing day and night, day and night. But here's how God explains it in Hebrews. If we get a commentary in the uh, book of Hebrews, this is in the New Testament, I'm cheating this week. In the New Testament, it says, here's how Jesus is better than the Old Testament system. But so let, the, guy, the writer of the Hebrews, maybe Barnabas, says, let me explain this to you. This is how God sees it. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The, um, the necessity of blood and how overwhelming this would be, I think you have to look at what the dad would think. Imagine how awkward this was. Uh, you go back to this time, and they, they have this lamb. It's four days in their house, and it's super cute. And they're thinking, okay, I don't, I don't want to do this. I mean, they, they used to be shepherds that probably killed animals all the time, but now they're bricklayers. So how many of these people really are killing animals regularly? How many people here have killed animals regularly? I mean, probably the same people who like snakes. That's my guess. That's, that's going on. This is not a normal occurrence, okay? So you just picture... I'm guessing the dad being there, he's like, well, get the better homes out. Because the same thing happened like when I, my first Thanksgiving dinner, I had to like look at the thing and how to cut the turkey. I imagine it's the same thing. They have like this booklet and they're like, here, look at the book. So, honey, can you hold the book? And the, his wife's holding the book, showing the pictures, like here's how you kill the lamb. And the kids are like, what? You're killing the lamb? And they're crying in the background. There's wailing. They're trying to cover it. They're like, hurry it up, Roger. You know, and, then he's, and he's trying to kill it. Blood is flowing on the ground. And they're like, oh, my goodness. This is terrible. But if you ask the dad at the end of the day, what do you prefer? Your firstborn son or the life of this cute little lamb? Is there a dad on the planet who wouldn't say, I'll take my son? The necessity of blood is ingrained in the people that lived at that time. I'll give you an idea about it. This is a festival that's celebrated again and again. God is holy and demands blood, and unless they put blood on their doorframe from that little lamb, someone was going to die. To put it in perspective, Josephus, have you heard of Josephus? He's kind of an exaggerating historian. He seems to exaggerate a lot for the people who paid his money. He's Jewish, and he worked for the Romans. So, of course, everything the Romans did were like, it was like Cy Young. He had like 510 wins, and I don't know if that's just his own word. So I think they'd ask Josephus, like, how many guys died in battle? Like 10,000? Oh, general, I think it was more like 40,000. So then they loved him and they kept him in, in his job. So he did exaggerate a little bit. But he says, guess how many lambs died an average week during the time of Passover at Jesus' time? 256,000. Now that sounds like a lot. In fact, he bases it off how many lambs die is how many people came into Jerusalem. He figured that's the best way to count. So I'm going to say he's exaggerating. And I'm going to exaggerate it even by 90%. So maybe there was 26,000 lambs to die. You don't even have time, I think, officially to send them all through because they all have to die on a particular day in the temple. So on that Friday comes, whether they all cycled through there, even at 10% count, 
how many lambs are dying? A whole lot. It would have been like a river, and I'm sure they had a system to drain all this blood going out. Now, I'm not trying to gross you out, but this blood is flowing. This blood is flowing, and the people are overwhelmed. And again and again, morning and night, lambs die. The festivals come, seven lambs in the morning, seven at night to end the festival. Lambs die. Bulls are dying. Uh, birds are dying. There's just blood everywhere. Have you ever read, like, Leviticus? This, this is like the tractor pull. I mean, Genesis is awesome, and then Exodus is super exciting, and then suddenly Leviticus, it's like, wow, wow. There is more read through the Bible in a year that have been de- derailed with Leviticus. But you read that. The ceremony, they, they're like putting hands on a, a goat. They're sending that goat out to go die in the wilderness. This one dies. They take blood. They sprinkle it on the people on the Day of Atonement. Is this give you the creeps a little bit? But at the end of the day, is there anyone who would have any doubt that blood is necessary to be right with God because of your sin? Do you think anybody doubted that? I don't. uh, We had a minivan. It was a purple minivan, actually. Bought on eBay. It said gray on eBay. It wasn't wasn't gray when I saw it. Uh, It's like lavender, which is manly, so that was cool. Um, So I got this lavender minivan. And uh, retread, all things happen to my wife. She's the kindest, nicest driver of all time. And all this stuff happens. It never happens to me. So, like, this retread comes and pokes a hole in your exhaust pipe. So, right under the car. And, of course, you know, I'm not, I'm cheap. So she's like, should I take it in? I'm like, of course not. I'll fix it. So, I look online, and you can get this tape to cover this hole, right? So, you wrap the tape up, and it smells because it has to bake and get everything right. Like, a day later, it blows out. And you know what a car sounds like with a hole in the muffler? You shouldn't. You should get it fixed because it's embarrassing. So it sounds like a Harley, but you're driving them. Every guy's like, hey, oh, sorry, a lavender minivan. <laughs> so I drive in my lavender minivan, so I wrap it up. That blows out. So I'm like, all right, got to double wrap it. So then I get another set, and I double wrap it, and I tie it up, and I start putting these zip ties on it. That melts the zip ties because it gets so hot. That blows through that again. I'm like, this is terrible. So I got them from Chuck, who makes all things made up. And I said, Chuck, i got to fix this. So we wrap it, put a metal, like a bend a metal thing around it, to put it on there, wrap it again, and then I get those, what are those circle clips called, like uh, hose clips? And finally it's fixed. It's fun to fix something once, right? When you moved into your house, did you enjoy mowing the lawn for the first time? You love it, right? You're like, this is the best. I love, hey neighbor, everything's great. And then you got to do it again. And you're like, it's not so cool, like a puppy, right? You're in the honeymoon phase, and puppies are great in the beginning. It goes to the bathroom on your foot. You're like, hey, no big deal. I love puppies. What happens if it does it again? Like, puppies are fun to walk the first time. Lawns are fun to walk the first time. All this stuff is fun. Fix things the first time. You high-five yourself. You're like, I feel good. I'm going to move on. But what happens if it comes up again? And again. And again. How do you think the people felt with this sacrifice? Every morning, every night, every year, blood, blood, blood. Do you think they got to a point they're like, I'm so sick and tired of all this blood? I'd say. And you'd think it would, it, it would hit its culmination when a crazy guy who lives on bugs and sugar, it, hanging out by the Jordan River, points to a man and says, look, the Lamb of God Notice the connection. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And people stop. You can imagine this cycle, and they're like, this guy? This is the one? And that man grows until he's 33 years old perfectly, without defect. He goes all the way and says, there's no reason he should die. His blood shouldn't be shed. But he says, I'm willing. In fact, I'll carry my own cross. And you can put these nails in my hands so that there's blood, this blood has got to stop. And with his death, that is the last time, that is the last time we ever needed blood again because his was enough. Verse 14, it says, this is something you should commemorate. Uh, here's a hymn, Isaac Watts, who's a great hymn writer. And this is a hymn sung at Lent that always bugged me as a kid because it's it just, not all the blood of beasts. And I would, I would sing that Lincoln like, oh, but just think what it means. Not all the blood of beasts on Israel's altars slain could give the guilty conscious peace or wash away the stain. So no matter how many times they did these things, no matter how many animals they brought, they never felt like they were at peace until that Lamb of God came and said, what did he say when he was risen? Peace be with you. Your sins are gone. God says this is something we should commemorate. He said that in Exodus chapter 12, a lasting ordinance. One of those days, Jesus uh, meets with his disciples. This is 1,500 years after it. He meets with his disciples and says, Here, here's a new thing I'm going to give you. Take this cup and drink it. This is my blood. Take this bread and eat it. This is my body. Do this not just to remember. This is for forgiveness. You look back at some of those sins we try and trivialize, and we say, man, God, God you are over-disciplining some of these sins that we've done. But God, just because we argue with it doesn't mean they're not sins. doesn't mean there isn't death deserved. But God's the one who says, tell you what, as we're going to celebrate in a little bit, take and eat and know for sure that my blood was enough and this cycle has stopped. The cycle has stopped because your sins are gone. Amen.